for some reason, my voice is still on vacation. So, uh, so if any time my voice, you know, just squeaks or cracks, just pretend I'm a middle schooler or something. So, but by God's grace, I'm here and I'm excited to dig into the word together with you all. So I'd like to start off by telling uh, a brief story this morning. Uh, One summer when I was in high school, I was working for a contractor and I was laying concrete block. Yes, I I did manual labor. Don't, Don't freak out. I have done that. And so one summer I was laying concrete block. And one job that I was working, I was getting into this really good groove of, you know, I was mixing uh, concrete by hand in a wheelbarrow and I was laying block and it was really warm. And there's one job that I was working. I'm like, man, this is going really well. I was just, you know, jiving. It felt like my work was jazz. I was just, pow, 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 pow. you know, I was going down, laying this foundation. And after a few days of working on this foundation, the foreman comes over to me and he says, Hey, just so you know, you're going to have to redo this. And I said, what? I looked like devastated. Well, it turns out the foundation that I was laying was just like a few inches off. My, me- my measurements were just a little off. And so it may not seem like that big of a deal, but if we were to continue to build on that foundation and build that house up, it would have been pretty bad down the road. And I'm not a construction guy, I'm a, I'm a good YouTuber, but I know even in that moment as a high school student, I'm like, well, this foundation is not gonna last very well for this house because it was only just a little bit off. So I had to go back and do parts of it over. And in the same way, we are seeking to build a foundation in our own lives that's being built poorly. And if we are seeking to build this foundation in our own lives that's being built on a foundation that is not built well, it can have very negative effects on our lives, not just in the short term, but in the long term. And so we're going to dig more into this concept of building a solid foundation this morning in Colossians 2, uh, verses 6 through 10. So if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to pull those out. We're going to be in Colossians 2 this morning, looking at verses 6 through 10. And so while you pull your Bible out and turn there, let me just give you a little bit of context because that was one of the things we taught our students this last year when we study the Bible is we always look at context first. Context is key. That's what we say. That's what I say at least. I don't know if they still say it, but context is key. And so during Paul's ministry in Ephesus, a Colossian man by the name of Epaphras responded to Paul's proclamation of the gospel. So Epaphras was in Ephesus hearing Paul's gospel ministry. And so he gave his life to Christ and then returned to his hometown, Colossae, and he began to share his faith, share this life-changing message. And at this point, the church in Colossae was birthed. And as the church began to grow, False teaching began to creep in and threaten the Colossian church. So Paul is writing this letter here in Colossians to address these teachings and encourage the believers in spiritual growth. And so with that in mind, let's, let's dive in here together. So verse 6, let me read again. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. And so Paul begins this message reminding them of how they received Jesus Christ as Lord. Well, what does that mean? Well, 
The word received here means to join oneself, to acknowledge or accept, to be such as he professes to be. And so now that the Colossian church has received this gospel message that has been preached, they heard this message, they received this message, they've acknowledged that Jesus is Lord over their lives. And so, okay, if they have heard this message that Paul has preached, they've received this message that Paul is being preached, that Jesus is Lord over their lives. Well, the next question we want to ask ourselves is, what does it mean that Jesus is Lord? And so some of you might be thinking, well, I have a pretty good idea of that. But working with students, we always want to dig in deeper to help them understand everything that we mean. Because we make no assumptions with where our students are at. And so this word Lord here means to whom a person belongs to, about which he has power. And this title is given specifically to the Messiah, to Jesus Christ. And so Paul starts off this encouragement by reminding the church of who their foundation is. And that is Jesus Christ, that he is over all. And that's why back in chapter one, Paul said, and he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. Jesus Christ is the foundation of our lives. He is before all things and in Jesus, all things hold together. I don't know about you, but if you've tried to hold everything together in your lives, probably hasn't worked out too well. I can relate to that. And so you see, church, we must remember this truth. Because if you don't believe that Jesus is truly Lord over your lives, how can you expect to withstand the storms that will come? Because we know that the storms are coming and we need to have this foundation laid that Jesus Christ is Lord over all. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And I I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but if you're trying to be Lord of your own life, trying to be in control of everything, it just won't work. You'll end up becoming frustrated, anxious, empty, and having identity crisis after identity crisis after identity crisis. And Paul knew that if the Colossian church wanted to be built up, rooted, and established in the faith, standing strong against the false ideologies of their day, they wouldn't be able to achieve this if it wasn't built on who Jesus is. Because the tough days when I don't have answers, I go to who Jesus is. And he is Lord. And so as Paul reminds them of this foundation here, he then says, so walk in him. And the word walk here means to live, regulate one's life, to conduct one's life. And this here, surprisingly enough, is a verb, which means it requires action. And so if you want to live for Jesus, but are taking no action steps to become more like Christ, then you're just fooling yourself. 
If you want to live for Jesus, but are not taking any action steps, I'm not saying you're perfect because we're not, but if you're not taking any steps towards Christ, then you're just fooling yourself. And so Paul here is saying, so now that you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, now follow him. Walk in him. And so what does it look like to practically walk in Christ? Well, Paul goes on to say in verse 7, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And so as we walk in Christ, we must be rooted, built up, established. Well, okay, well, why is this important? Well, Jesus tells us in Matthew 7 what will happen if we're not deeply rooted. Jesus says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And so in light of this, it's our desire to raise up a generation of students to be followers of Jesus who are deeply rooted, grounded, and built up in ways that when the storms come, they will be able to withstand them. And that's why this past year we went through this series called Rooted, and our desire was to begin to help students dig these deep roots. How do we help students dig deep roots so that they may be rooted, built up, and established in their faith? And because of this, we answered questions like, why is studying the Bible important? Is the Bible really the word of God? Will reading the Bible change my life? We then took four weeks to teach students how to study the Bible, giving them time, tools, and resources to become more confident and comfortable, not just reading the Bible, but studying the Bible. And then in the spring, we spent four weeks teaching students about prayer, two weeks about why the church is important. We even did a night on church history. Yeah, when's the last time we talked about church history and youth ministry? Then we did four weeks about biblical worship. What does it mean to worship in a biblical way? And then how do we share our faith? And we wanted to help teach these students what it looks like to dig deep roots and how they do this. Because it's one thing for us to tell them what they need to do, but we also want to be equipping them on how to actually do it. And how do we do that? Through his word, prayer, worship, the local church, sharing the good news of Jesus. And that's why we spent a whole semester alone on teaching students how to study the Bible because we want our students to the best of our ability, to have a biblical worldview, to see the world through the lens of Scripture. Well, why is the biblical worldview important? Well, according to Barna Research, only 4% of Gen Zers have a biblical worldview, 
meaning that they view and interpret the world around them through the lens of the Bible. 4% of Gen Z has a biblical worldview. 4%. And so how do we increase that percentage? How do we work towards that? Well, Paul says in verse 7, just as you were taught. Just as you were taught. And so here at Fellowship Church, we view teaching the Bible seriously. We view that as a part of who we are. And so, for example, in the fall, we spent the majority of one night teaching students how to do Bible word studies using Bible study software. And when I mentioned to some of my youth worker friends that we were taking a night of youth group to teach students how to do word studies, they pretty much laughed and said, good luck. And, you know, honestly, I can't say I blame them because I was, it felt pretty daunting. You know, how do I help students learn how to do a Greek word study? Like, what does that even look like? How do we do this? But in the end, we ran with it. And you know what? It's amazing how God works because that night we taught students how to do word studies. That was the, I think, one of the highest attended TNTs of the school year. It was crazy. And you know what? Students are still using those methods and are loving it. Just the other week, a student came up and said, I did a Greek word study on the word and. And they said, da, 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 da. And I'm like, you know what? Love it. That's awesome. <laughs> you go. And I think one of the greatest lies the enemy wants us to think when it comes to working with teenagers is they can't handle it. I believe it's one of the greatest lies that we can believe when it comes to working with teenagers is that they can't handle it. I mean, this is how I think. If a teenager can understand calculus, legally drive a car, order anything from Starbucks, which you need to know Greek and Hebrew to do that anyway. (laughs) If they can do all these things, then they can study the Bible and learn theology. I mean, I hear students talking about AP biology and trigonometry. I can't even spell some of those words. And I'm like, you know what? If they can learn that, man, we can dig into why Jesus is Lord over their lives. That's one of the lies that we can believe is that they can't handle it. And I think it's time that we start raising the bar for our students. Perhaps that's why so many students are walking away from their faith. But that's not just for our students. We need to be raising the bar for ourselves. Each and every person in this room who's claiming to follow Jesus, we need to continue, myself included, raise the bar. If you desire to be rooted, built up, and established in the faith, then you must commit yourselves to sound biblical teaching because that's part of how we worship, grow, and serve is through biblical teaching, Bible studies, small groups, discipleship. And I love how Paul adds in here in verse seven, abounding in thanksgiving. Like if you want a good gauge on if you're truly learning and growing in your life, Paul gives you one. How thankful are you? Is thankfulness a part of your reaction to growing in your faith? Because it should be one of our first reactions to learning and growing. Because as we learn more about who Jesus is and what he has done, my response 
is often I'm just left in awe and thankful. And the more I study about what Jesus did on the cross, I feel like sometimes the more I don't understand it, why did he do this? But you know what? Thanks be to God for this great gift. Because thankfulness should be a part of how we learn and grow. And so how do we avoid becoming washed away like what Jesus talks about in Matthew 7? Well, Paul goes on to tell us in verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. We must not be taken captive by the ideologies, the thinking of the world. We can't. And so this word captive here means to be led away from the truth and subject to one's way. And this word is often used uh, to describe the plundering of one's cargo from a ship, (laughs) stealing all the cargo from a ship. And so when we become captive to worldly thinking, two things happen. Number one, we are led away from truth. And number two, we become enslaved to that lie. So we are being led away from truth and then we become an apprentice of that lie. We become enslaved to it. And I'm sure many of us here in this room have fallen prey to the lies of the enemy. And I'm sure those lies have left us feeling discouraged, empty, alone. But that's what worldly thinking does to us. It leaves us feeling empty and misled. And we're seeing that happen with teenagers today. And it's no wonder that according to a 2019 study conducted by Cigna, 79% of Gen Zers said that they feel alone. 79% of students that were interviewed said that they felt alone. And this is what buying into the lies does. It cuts us off from who we were created to be with, our Heavenly Father. And when we're cut off, it leaves us feeling empty and alone. And so, well, what does it look like for a student to be taken captive by worldly thinking? Well, here are a few that I jotted down. Church is not that important. It's a nice optional activity. I can choose what my identity is and isn't. Absolute truth is offensive. Sharing my faith is oppressive. Reading the Bible is just one way to truth. These are some of the worldly thinking ideologies that students and we can buy into. Well, so so how do we not succumb to these lies of the enemy? Well, if you're taking notes, be sure to write what I'm about to say down. If you want to avoid becoming captive of the lies of this world, we must know God's word. That's what Paul says at the end of verse 8, and not according to Christ. If you want to fight against the lies, well, church, you have to know the truth to spot the lies. The best way to recognize a lie is to know the truth. It's that simple. So, well, how do we do this? What does this look like? Well, believe that the Bible is the word of God 
know God's word. And I love how Psalm 119 says, I have hidden your word in my heart. Number three, let the Bible lead and guide you. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Number four, we take every thought captive. Number five, we let the word of God change how we think and view the world. I love Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because when we place our faith in Jesus, the old has gone and the new has come. So how can we continue to live like the old when we are no longer the way that we were? You know, a few weeks ago, a student was sharing an issue with me that they were facing. And they said, so I know the Bible has to talk about this somewhere. So can you show me what God says about it? And in that moment, I wanted to go, yes. Because that's the kind of thinking we want our students to have. You know, I know the Bible has to talk about this. So can you show me where it does? Yes, we would love to do that. That's the kind of thinking we hope and pray our students have and that we church should have. Because it's never a question of if the Bible talks about an issue, but where. And so if we want to stand firm against empty philosophy and the lies of this world, well, what should we be standing firm on? Well, Paul brings us back to that foundation in verses 9 and 10. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. It's in Jesus that we find everything that we could need or want. It's in Jesus who provides the ultimate authority in our lives. It's in Jesus where we receive direction and guidance. It all starts with the foundation of Jesus Christ. And so as we begin to wrap up our time together this morning, here are a few questions I'd like you to reflect on in light of Paul's writing. The first question, is Jesus Christ truly Lord over your life? Or are you following him until he takes you to places where you don't want to be? Jesus, I'll follow you until we get to here. And after that, good luck. I always tell students, are you living for the line or are you living for the Lord? That is, are you looking for the line that is the bare minimum of obedience and commitment to Christ and walking that line? Or are you saying, Jesus, I will follow you no matter what. I'm all in no matter the cost. Another way I think about it of, is who's in the driver's seat? You know what? We often think that it, our lives look like this picture, right? You ever see these driver's ed cars with two wheels? That's what we think our lives look like. Well, let me give you a better picture of what it actually looks like. <laughs> because sometimes I'm the kid I don't think I could fit in there anymore, but I'm the kid in that going, look at me, Jesus. I got this all figured out. Beep, 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 got in my way, Satan. But you know what? Jesus is at the end of the cart going, really, Nick? Really? Oh, okay, you, you lead us this way. Church, Jesus is over all. And is he Lord of your life? And I promise you, 
if you allow Jesus to be Lord over your life, to submit to his authority, it's not going to be easy, but it's going to be so worth it. The second question I want you to think about, what are you being taught and by whom? Are you following empty teaching and worldly lies? Or are you diving into the word of God that's living and active, that is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness? You know, liking a Bible verse on Instagram can't be your only intake of scripture for the day. 10 or 20 minutes of skimming a Bible passage each morning is not enough to combat eight plus hours of screen time and media consumption. It's not enough to ground us and defend our minds and hearts against the ideologies shaping us through education. If you say, you know what, I'm going to do my devotions this morning and you, and you get up and you go to your daily Bible verses page on Instagram, you read it and you like it and you move on. I don't think that's going to be the most helpful for you long term. Are you truly digging into the word? I'm not saying that you shouldn't be encouraged by what you see. But are you digging into the word? Number three, are you walking in Christ? Are you abiding? And I don't solely mean, do you believe the words of Jesus? But are you actually following him? Because they go hand in hand. Are you actually following Jesus? What do you do for the rest of these hours once you leave these doors during the week? That's going to tell me more than what I would need to know. Jesus himself said in John 14, 15, if you love me, obey my commandments. First John 3 also writes, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. The evidence of abiding is how we live. How are you living, church? And I've often told students, if they were to make a movie about your life and you were to premiere it to all of your friends, would they know that you follow Jesus? Would they know that there's a difference about you? And these are questions that I have to wrestle with often in my own life. And I wanna pose them to you today. Because these are the kinds of questions that we want to address with our students. And that's why I love this passage in Colossians, because it describes what we desire to do. To share the good news of Jesus, challenge students to walk in Christ, and equip them how to. When we talked about prayer, we, th we took a night to talk about what is prayer, why do we pray, was the second week, how do we pray. And then the fourth week, we took a night to actually Practice prayer. We want to challenge our students to walk in Christ and equip them how to. We want to teach them the Bible. Our heart's desire is that they know the truth so that students may reject the lies of the enemy. And number five, we hope and pray that they submit to Christ as the ultimate authority in their lives and willingly follow him. You see, church, this is the foundation that we want to continue to build our youth ministry on. This is what we've been doing for years, and this is what we want to continue to do. Because Paul said it way back to the church here in this letter. And you know what? We're going to still continue to do that mission. But beyond just our youth ministry, 
This is what we need to be building in our own lives. Because here's the reality. We are all building a foundation in our lives. Will it be Jesus or the world? You may not realize it, but every day you make a decision and that decision is a block on the foundation. What will you build your foundation on? Will it be Jesus or will it be worldly thinking that's built on sand? And this time I want to invite the youth band forward. And as, I, as they do, let me close with a few thoughts. 65% of Gen Z hopes to achieve a lot in the next 10 years. This is um, research from Barna that came out about a year or two ago. 65% of Gen Z says they hope to achieve a lot. And so what we're seeing about this generation is that they have a high success rate. They want to achieve a lot. They have dreams. They have goals. You know what? I look at that and think, imagine if they had the right mission. What could they accomplish? Imagine if they had the right mission. The second one, Gen Z is the largest living generation in America. Can you imagine the impact on the world they would have if they were following Jesus and discipled? Could you imagine the impact that they would have? And the third one, 9% of Gen Z is considered engaged Christian. I look at that and think, what an incredible mission field for our students to go out and share the gospel. What an incredible opportunity for our students to go out and share their faith with other students. What an incredible opportunity. And church, will you join me and our leaders and our parents to help mold and shape this generation all for the glory of Jesus Christ. Will you join us with our leaders, our parents? Church, pray for, your, pray for the parents. There's a lot of false ideologies that are rampaging right now. Pray for them, encourage them. They need all the help and support that they can get. And church, will you join me as we all work together to play a part and not building just the future of the church, but the church of today. We are all building a foundation in our lives. Will it be Jesus or will it be the world? Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you so much for this opportunity for us to gather together. Thank you, Lord, for the service that we can give you the honor and glory by praising you by what you're doing in and through the lives of our students God, it's not about us as as leaders. It's about what you are doing in and through the hearts and lives of students. God, I thank you for each and every student that is here. Thank you for each and every family in this church that have prayed for, encouraged, supported our students over the years. God, thank you for what you're doing. And I pray that you would continue to lead and guide and direct us. And I pray that through all things, we would help our students build a foundation on Jesus. And that they would know that that foundation will last forever. God, thank you. And we give you the praise and honor and glory. In your name we pray. Amen.